Hello, this is Pam Electric Ghost. We have Waterflower. Hello. Hi. So I just want to do a little brief introduction. I'm Pam Electric Ghost. I interview indie artists from around the world. I'm an artist myself. I'm an electronic musician. And um, we've got about 23,000 listeners worldwide now since 2018. And we're glad to have you on, on our show. You're, you're what, the first uh, female solo electronic act in Latvia, right? Uh, I can't say for sure, but I am Wonderful. the first one that I know of. Well, you know, <laughs> and um, you, yeah, I was reading from your SoundCloud. It said you were originally established under the alias, is it Crawfork? That's right. And um, you've been doing um, a combination of audio visual performance art and experimental electronic music. And you, I've seen your, your videos on YouTube and um, you have really interesting mm-hmm. Uh, work it kind of reminds me of like Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush and you know, oh yeah it, it has, it has a lot you know I'm a big I'm I'll kind of show my age I'm like in my 50s and I kind of grew up with like bands like Yes and Emerson Lake and Palmer and Genesis and I really you know appreciate the kind of experimental theatrical aspects you're doing kind of kind of reminds me of what Peter Gabriel used to do and um yeah I'm very much a big fan of that type of music so I'm drawn to what you're doing <laughs> thank you I I'm into that kind of music as well <laughs> yeah, yeah, no surprise tell. I think yeah because you're doing field recordings kind of like yes did on uh, close to the edge you know you're doing like you know raw sound like ambient noise and sampled like running water glass beads gardening tools that's kind of very progressive very you know experimental which is something I, I i'm very much into myself but um yeah it's like a lot of people today they, they use samplers but what you're doing is very you know artistic use of sampling um rather than just you know grabbing clips it's uh it's kind of like a deeper uh <laughs> I <think>. yeah thank <laughs> you <laughs> um actually that came uh, from when i first started out uh I had a computer microphone that, you know, just plugged into the mic jack on a home computer Mm. at my parents' place. And for some reason, I decided that I wanted to experiment with recording sound. And I'd been doing that for a little while. Uh, But I wanted to make music. But for some reason, I decided that every sound I use should be recorded myself. Mm -hmm. I I don't know (laughs) where, where that came from. But that that was a very important rule i think to yeah beginning to create the music i make i think if you go back to the 50s and the first electronic musician they were doing their very ex- big experimental stuff back in the 50s in new york when like ra moog had the first big modular sense and it didn't even have keyboards you know they had like <laughs> analog sequencers and the first electronic musicians were kind of against using keyboards they were doing field recordings they were doing, you know, tape loops, you know, they were, they were doing a lot of like studio tricks like George Martin from the Beatles. They were doing a lot of stuff like that, uh, that in you know, like the field recordings was a big part of it, you know, um, you know, breaking a glass and capturing it and put it on a tape loop and running it backwards and running it forwards. And that's just, you know, it's part of, of that initial type of electronic music. Well, I think if you can learn to work with uh, noise, and non-musical sounds, it's very easy to transition to actual musical sounds afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think it's really interesting. You know, I'm a big modular guy. I'm using white, pink noise, blue noise off of my modes and trying to turn them into percussive sounds or actually leaving them to create water or create, you know, wind. And, you know, it's just something that, you know, you, you play with your analog instruments and you come up with all kinds of things. But... um that you you know you can grab with a field recording or you try to replicate with your analog synth Uh, but yeah i I was looking at your your whole professional career like you've got 11 year professional art education um that you've been using to create this um really interesting hybrid of like electronica hyper pop noise ambient sound experimental music so yeah (laughs) i never i never really knew about you until i found your instagram and I think 
yeah, you might have, you know, liked one of my songs or something, but then I, that, I, I kind of liked you back and I started looking at your material and then I, you know, I asked you to come on the show. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, uh, I'm finding that uh, I, I've been starting to explore certain hashtags on in- Instagram, including the hashtag electronic music. And I think that's how I found you. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just it, it's it's so simple, but it actually works. I found so many interesting artists by just looking at these less popular hashtags that are actually really relevant and interesting to me. That's how I find all my guests for the last three years um, on Instagram. I just look for, you know, anybody that's in, in any kind of musical genre. But because I'm an electronic artist, I always tag that and then people tend to come to me. And then I tend to like, oh, well, would you like to come on the show? <laughs> that's very I've, cool i've been able to get like a guest a week for three years by just doing wow <laughs> no agents no anything i just do it myself and so it's, it shows you you don't have to pay somebody to do that if you're creative but um it's interesting yeah so <laughs> yeah. Uh, about the art education so that's an interesting one um i you see i never thought that i'd be doing music oh. well Actually, that's that's not totally true. When I was a kid, I was I was playing violin, and there were like school musicals where I was in the main role. You know, I was singing Annie and stuff like that. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but but uh, after that, it was just my whole world was visual arts. I went to I was I was really into art school. I was, mm-hmm. but the thing is that when I started to go to art school, that's the first time when I actually tried to create music. So all the while, whilst I was, you know, I, I wanted to become an animator, but to do that, I had to study classical painting and classical drawing. And uh, I went through all of that, but all the while, secretly, I was making music. <laughs> it sounds and... like, like Andy Warhol in the Velvet Underground. It was like a kind of, like if you go back to what Warhol used to do with Lou Reed, it was like a collision between music and visual art um yeah i i really like i really like the stuff of that that era yeah that always drove me and i, I always try to mix like visuals i'm not a pure visual artist or like i wasn't trained to do that I'm more of a musician but i always try you know i think all artists try to bring in theater and art and the other disciplines within you know being an artist it's like it's all part of the same thing because every Every musician ends up using some visual cues or theatrical cues to, in their work. Definitely. And they have to. <laughs> but the, how, how deep you dive into it. Um, yeah, but that's interesting that you were able to, to kind of, because you were the, the, your theatrical or your art project were driving you to probably include music in your, in your work, you just felt like you needed to have some of your own work or you picked other people's work. How did you initially start? Uh, with arts or music? Well, well, they're integrating the music. And you talked about you were doing the visual, then you started integrating music. Was it your own music that you were integrating into it or music that you selected or worked with? How did you start to do that? Right. So um, I was making my own music uh, while, all the while, while I was in art school. Oh, but it was secret. (laughs) So you weren't, you weren't actually taking the, 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 like uh, the rigor of an actual like um, that wasn't your primary. You were, you were kind of doing it as, as like a hobbyist or like what you wanted to do for yourself. You weren't like taking classes or were, or were you? Well, I tried to take some, uh, eventually I tried to take some MIDI classes, but it was very difficult because uh, it was, it was run by a guy and he had his protege young male students and he didn't even believe <laughs> mm-hmm. I could have any uh, any understanding and oh, yeah it, it was it was really it was just a process of experimentation and I've always been very good with the technical side of things so, mm-hmm. so you back then, into it. <laughs> yeah back then I just I think I downloaded a random MIDI program and also I use Cubase 4 and, and Audacity and, okay. and just with, with those. Uh, but, oh, the MIDI program, it was uh, sheet music based because at oh, that okay. point I could, only, uh, I could only read and write in uh, sheet music because of my earlier violin studies. 
Uh, so that's a good place to start, though. That's a good like some artists they they can't can't do it. Well, you know, I come in from like a blues tradition. A lot of us, you know, we kind of just know how to play. <laughs> and, the, and the sheet music came later. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's always good to have that base tool because then you can do even more things as a composer. Yeah, and and um, I put my music on online on a uh, Latvian Facebook type site that was very popular back then and they had a music part of that website and it was pretty new platform and I just put on one song and people were commenting asking can we have more and I was like what (laughs) (laughs) and uh, (laughs) there was a kind of a follow-up after that like people were begging me to play live for years after wow so, so do you, I have I've talked to a lot of female magicians. So, do, have you run into a lot of like sexism or like resistance to actually have like male like artists don't want to work with female artists or they don't think you can do it? Have you run into that? Like people putting up a ceiling? Um, I think it's been most difficult with uh, sound engineers <laughs> at live shows, actually. Oh, um, they get trouble with them. They don't. They don't. They don't want to listen to you. <laughs> well, yeah. It it took me years to work out how to do it properly. So now I have all my equipment, uh, almost all my equipment, already plugged in in a hard case. So I just open it up, and oh, they realize yeah. that they they, they uh, know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, and because uh, until until you have something really visible like that, it's actually yeah. very difficult to convince a sound guy. That to trust you outright, you know. Sometimes sound guys don't read uh, technical writers, and they don't know that everything has been written down there very clearly. And um, so they just come and go like, "So, what do you need?" And I take a deep breath, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I start to say everything I need, and they're like, they uh, just don't trust it. Sometimes, yeah. well, at yeah, least in the past. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've, I've run into that because I'm, a, you know, I have all these analog synths and I come into a show. Right. And I've got, I got my own, mis- I have my own boards, you know, before I give it to them, like I have my own mixers and stuff. And I'm using yeah. a lot of performance mixers and I have certain things I want to do because I'm an experimental artist. And so it's not going to be what a rock band or a metal band is going to do. Yeah. And so the range is so wide on what I do that I kind of have to control it myself because the guys will kind of wreck my mix. So I, yep. I totally understand what you're talking about, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I run into it myself, but um, yeah, that, that's, it's cool that, that I see more and more of the people I interview are female artists. Like this seems to be the age of, of, a, of the of women artists. They're producing themselves. They're writing their own music They have their own vision and they're kind of, they're directing their careers. So maybe you want to talk about that. Do you feel more empowered now? Do you feel like you have other people uh, who are working in the industry that you look up to or that you are actually influenced by? Yeah, um, I would say that the biggest difference uh, between women making uh, electronic music and men making electronic music is that the community is not as easy, easily accessible. So... If you want, if you just have something on your mind that you want to ask somebody, uh, if you would ask a male musician, the answer might not be as straightforward as it it would be asking another woman. Mm-hmm. So what you're left is really to look up to various, uh, well, I guess, role models and mm-hmm. just work it out yourself. So um, I'm a big fan of, uh, well, actually, I'm a big fan of Brian Eno. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I was talking about him last night with the last guest I was talking to. Uh, we were talking about Bowie and his German period, man, with, like, low. And we were talking, I, I, mean, I, 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 I kind of followed him from his work with U2 and Dylan and everybody else he's worked with. But, yeah, I, I just love the way he would come in to it. He'd work with an artist and he really changed them, but they didn't feel like like some of these modern producers. He's just like slapping his style on top of them because he would like work with a Dylan and change Dylan. 
you know, for that album, Dylan doesn't sound like any other Dylan album, or U2's album, Unforgettable Fire, doesn't sound like any other U2 album. Um, I was always very intrigued by how he would do that. Um, and it was just very interesting. Yeah, actually, because, like, he came into music from a visual arts background as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's why Bowie probably liked him, because Bowie's more theatrical in the first place. And actually, during this uh, quarantine uh, COVID period, I have taken to draw a oblique strategy every day and put it on my Instagram stories. And uh, mm-hmm. I've noticed uh, some of the people following are also getting inspired by one of Vino's uh, oblique strategies each day. And I kind of try to follow it at the moment. Uh, that's really why well, I've, I've always been drawn to like, you know, artists that are experimental, like Sun Ra, from a jazz perspective. Yeah. I, I, I dive deep into, like, uh, a lot of their stuff, um, you know, like Space the Place. And, uh, yeah. That, that's probably one of my favorite um, albums ever from a jazz band. A lot, not a lot of jazz people actually know who they are. I mean, they're starting, people are starting to realize who they were. Uh, jazz and Silhouette was one of the best bebop albums, like, ever, but nobody really knew about it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But... Yeah, but it's just like everywhere. I mean, I was listening to like uh, I was because of this whole quarantine thing. I started listening to Zappa, like Frank Zappa mm-hmm. and Mothers of Invention, and you know I always loved Parliament Funkadelic, and but Zappa kind of took it with this orchestration he used to do, and he would have like very interesting scale usage and in different ways of directing, you know, people who played you know, all these orchestral instruments and he would write, he actually could write the music. But for a rocker, that's very rare. <laughs> and, yeah. and just I watched, I watched a documentary on him and it was just amazing, the the level of detail that he was into. But then when he played his solos, he never played them the same. Mm. Even though he could write things down, when he played, he never played like anything straight. He would always change it. Like a, like, a, like a free jazz guy. And I always found that very interesting. <laughs> Yep, there's definitely some sunra in the other room next to the record player. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so you started getting into music because your your focus wasn't wasn't initially music, but you said you were trained on on classical instruments like violins. You had, you had said that. Yeah, yeah. I um I. At what age age did you start that? Six. Wow, you did, how, how long did you stay with that? Not very long, actually. It was um, four years. I did grade four of violin. So I stopped mm-hmm. when I was 10, I guess. Did you switch to a different instrument? You got different interests. I moved country. Uh, so well, my parents moved country. So uh, I went to school in England, which is why I have this accent. <laughs> yeah, I can hear it. <laughs> and it was in England that I started learning violin. And when we moved back to Latvia, um, the systems here are very different. Uh, the Soviet systems are more, when it comes to classical instruments, it's really orchestra based. So they don't allow for any individualism at all. And whereas in the UK, the teacher I had been learning with, um, she was really encouraging and very, she really, I really had an interest in music because of her teaching. And I tried to get in a music school here and they were just, oh, it was horrible. They, They were like, you're holding your arm, your hand wrong on the bow like how will this look in an orchestra that if you know everyone's moving the same way and you're moving differently that won't do start with the most basic scales and you can only get into music school when you are holding your hand correctly while doing the most basic scales and I did that for a year and it was yeah yeah it's very limiting I mean that's not the way to encourage people to be you know creative (laughs) oh well you know Welcome to a post-Soviet country. <laughs> Things are a well, bit we, I, I, different here. Well, I've heard horror stories in our conservatories. You know, T- Tori Amos was famous, but she re- she kind of dropped out um, of her conservatory because they caught her doing rock music and they told her that was like a no-go. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we do get some of that at Berkeley and some of the places around here. So, I mean, they're wide, more wide open, but there is still this kind of 
feeling that oh, if you're trying to do pop music, that's not real. That's not really discipline. Well, um, and <laughs> to be fair, in in art school, because I was studying in a classical art school, there was that kind of thing towards art. So <laughs> I can understand that if you are studying something with a classical background, there could be that holdback. But it shouldn't be forever, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So, so when you decided um, you had a talent for music, you started writing your own music. Is that late later when you started to do your art projects, or do, were you continuing to do music after you had kind of bad experience with with the violin coming back to Latvia? Did you continue music, or did you just focus on on doing your art? Uh, I didn't even know I wanted to do visual arts at that point, um, mm-hmm. but that's then. Then I I went to an international school out here actually first because uh, it was it was either go to grade four in in a latvian school or go to grade six in an international school because they wanted to take me a grade back in latvia as well <laughs> oh no grade two and then i was supposed to go to go grade four whatever anyway so it was yeah. in, in the international school where they had these musical productions where I don't know, just I got into the auditions and I got these main roles and uh, it was encouraging for sure. It felt like, I don't know, it was just nice to do well at something. And I've always loved singing and I I, I have a real uh, ear for sounds. Does that make sense? I can remember sounds oh, yeah. very well. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you have a Kate Bush kind of ask, kind of like vocal tone, mm. I, and and then I was looking at your video gases, yeah, and it's it's really I I love what you did with the video. It's just like that's very impressive. You know, it's just mm-hmm. I get drawn to that kind of thing because it reminds me of the whole progressive era back when people did music videos and they actually were trying to be art, you know, very artistic with them rather than be kind of just bragging, bragging, bragging yeah. <laughs> about certain things. But, but it, it seems like, you know, to me, like when, when you had directors would interpret a song and then the song video, the video was not exactly what you thought the song was, but that's kind of cool to actually let artists, you know, interpret a vision visually and, and create the same kind of impact as a song in video. And I see that in your video work is really impressive. Um, yeah, thank you. So did you do a lot of visual stuff in your theatrical work? And you said you were, you're doing the visual arts. When did you actually start focusing on the kind of capability that you have in ga- gashes? Uh, when did you start seeing that you had that kind of capability or talent? Um, so... I I was a bit crazy around uh, ninth grade. I don't know what happened, but I decided to do uh, like um, 11 after school classes a week, somewhere like every two weeks. I've, I've got no idea how, how that happened. I can't even imagine it now. But I was trying out lots of different things and keeping myself busy. And one of the things I tried was animation. And I just fell in love with it. I was like, this is, this is what I want to do in my life. I want to become an animator. And then based on that, I was searching where can one study animation in Latvia. And actually, still, there is no certain place where you can study it. But there's kind of a side course in this painting school. So uh, that's why I went there. And by the end of it, by the end of the painting school, and when I actually made my diploma work, which was a four minute pencil drawn animation but obviously digitally put together then I realized that most of the people at the painting school aren't very tech savvy they don't have this video aspect and I'm all into animation but also love photography and so that kind of led off to video and then later in the art academy I did my bachelor and master in visual communication which is a lot of multimedia design stuff uh, so, yeah, and at that point, I guess I also realized that I can do multimedia design and I've been making music in my bedroom for ages. What, what kind of artist mm-hmm. am I? Well, maybe I'm both of these things. And then I, then it yeah, just so clicked, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so you're a be- be- bedroom producer, visual artist, kind of, you know, you know, you know uh, they would call uh 
I don't know what they say is like um, uh, you 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 cross genre because everybody today and a lot of people are mixing genres. Um, you know when they're doing you know really good work, and I've seen some of the indie artists I've talked to, where they're alternative artists, people who are not you know, in the mainstream. They've been very deep into crossing between audio, visual, and theatrical, and I see that in your work a lot. Um, it's very impressive, you know, what you're able to do, and the fact that you didn't have a lot of, lot of, a lot of places to go to, a lot of resources. So you were kind of counting on yourself and your own influences. Yeah. Or did you find, or did you find some mentors when you went? To oh, school? not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in terms of animation, because I always, my daughter is very into a lot of animation. We actually were in Japan for a couple of years. And she was very influenced by Tezuka and, and Disney and, you know, Warner Brothers, like the old cartoons. So in terms of animation, can you kind of speak to maybe some of your influences in terms of, um, you know, people could kind of point to? Well, mm, there's animation and me have has its own story. After I finished uh, that, um, that pencil drawn animation short that I was speaking about, I was basically hung up on animation. It's a crazy amount of work. I did that in half a year and I didn't want to do it again for quite a while. So, um, but then before then I had gone to a animation studio out here that was looking for um, interns. So while I was still at school and I started to do stuff there and um, I met the people there and I got to know them and it was quite interesting that uh, a couple of years ago I heard that one of the directors there were working on a new animation film and they were hoping that I would be free but uh, they hadn't contacted me because they thought I was doing music <laughs> and uh, oh. and I contacted the director and she was so happy to see me and I actually got to work uh, on her animation film for three years and well, yeah and uh, actually her animation films were very important to me as a little child because um so she's 77 now i think and wow. uh, they call her like the grandmother of animation film and most of her animation films are you can't really call them musicals but it's about half music and half dialogue and uh, they're always a little bit fairy tale, uh, a little bit, um, mm -hmm. yeah, they're not your standard animation films for sure. And it, wow, that's, that's a cool place to have an influence like that. Cause it's very kind of niche where it's like not a lot, not everybody would, would have access to that. So that's, that gives you a little bit of a upper hand sometimes to, to come from a place like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. It, it it's different coming from a small country in some ways it's a lot easier to do big things but at the same time when you do a big thing it's not as big <laughs> yeah yeah you can't get it's like like being in new hampshire compared to being in new york city yep <laughs> I, I live i live in new hampshire and like if i have to play a gig I got, I have to go to new york <laughs> i'm an electronic musician everybody around here just plays folk music so, so, so you can't find any peers with what I do, or they're all in New York. Right. You know, so like you're not like I'm still in the U.S. And I can get there, but it's like you know where I live, I can't get. You know, nobody's doing what I do. Um, I see. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I get it. I get how that works. But um, that's that's interesting because that that gives you like that. Some people always want to put put a hand behind my back. It's like restricting me, but it also gives you. Uh, you know, like that that gives you like an advantage because then you people are saying well where, where how what, what kind of style is this they never they have never seen it or it gives you like um, a way to to introduce yourself because you're not doing everything that everybody else is doing um and i think that's really you know kind of core to get like in in the industry today you kind of don't want to be cookie cutter you want to get out there but you want to have something that's unique and um Will, will kind of make make your mark. I must admit, though, in in some ways, it's interesting. Like out here, there's a very very tiny community of uh, female producers, I guess, female producers, songwriters, mm -hmm. uh, which are 
making mostly electronic music. I think there are about, I don't know, six of us <laughs> now. And it's been interesting watching them appear over the years. Have you guys thought of doing like a collective since you have so few people? Have you thought of putting together like a, a collective? Because that seems to be the big thing in music today. Is a lot of, a lot of bands in multiple genres will create like collectives so they can do festivals, they can do shows together. Have, have you thought? Have you guys talked about that? Um, I have not tried to do a collective, but I have tried to create collaborative projects with uh, these other artists, okay. and whilst. Some worked for a while, none has really kicked off, and I'm just happy to not keep the friendship open. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, sometimes you've got to have the chemistry to have a collective. It's kind of like a band. Like, a collective can be kind of like a band, and people got to have kind of like-minded, you know, or be able to kind of work together at a certain level. And if you don't have enough, you know, people... In, in in a space to be able to figure out like who's going to work in that collective who won't then you might not be able to kind of kick it off but... yeah and also um latvia is very much like a north european country in the way that people keep to themselves and it, more, more independent. It, i don't know if you've heard uh, jokes about finland but uh they say the same thing out here like for example, on a bus, if uh, if people sit on in a seat, then the seat next to them stays empty. And when everyone's sat in one of those double seats, then it counts as full. <laughs> like the mentality <laughs> is like that, and uh, yeah, it comes it comes from yeah, the history real. of uh, having what are called one fence uh, farmland out here, which is basically there was a house with a little with a some land around it and then for hectares there wouldn't be another house <laughs> so so it's oh, so fairly wide open kind of like, like the midwest you know because that that wide open like where i live is kind of wide open but not to that level uh it's more like you got to go out to the kansas and places like that they have that kind of spread out um the northeast used to be a little more spread out, but now mm -hmm. it's not. <laughs> well, that there's the, the nature is actually still so wild out here, and most of the population lives in the capital city. So there are so many of these old abandoned houses out in the countryside. Oh, so the the area you are Riga is like very countryside. No, countryside? Riga itself is definitely a city. It holds. It the holds. Yeah, I think, thing, yeah. oh, I can't do the math off the top of my head, but basically that's most, most that's of, the, that's uh, the definitely, I think like three quarters of Latvia's population is in the capital city, so. But the outskirts are more like farmland? Yeah, or... uh, farmlands, forests, lots of forests, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, and there is farmland also. But there's lots of the, mm -hmm. I think I think the country's biggest export is actually wood. So wood, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, like my 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 state's got a lot of forestry as well uh, in New Hampshire. But um, so so you talked about like you use computers. You did did your first field recordings on a computer. You were talking about Cubase. So that's your DAW. Is that the doll you still use? The digital uh, No, um, I ended up. I tried different stuff, things over the years, and I was working on a collaborative project uh, five years ago, I think, and they suggested that they wanted to use Ableton, so I started using Ableton as well, mm -hmm. and that's what I've settled on now i mean i still like editing some things in audacity because because there's no grid you can cut and slice yeah. and glitch things really nicely and i like that there's the visual interface so i can always manipulate the waveform whilst being able to see its visual sound levels and then i take that into uh ableton but yeah ableton so do you use any hardware since or it's all... Um, I do use hardware. Uh, 
I but there are like a bit experimental things like my plant synthesizers, which are um, it's base it's a bareboard synthesizer which is actually no longer in production called the Ototo, and it's it's got oh, a, quite a noisy built-in synthesizer with. I think, oh, I, I don't know the exact number. I've never worked it out. I just know how many times to click up and click down. But <laughs> it's got it's got maybe like thirty mm. different sounds on it, and it's it's very very weird and glitchy. And then I have a Yamaha QY seventy, but you know that's that's still MIDI based, mm. and mm-hmm. and yeah, Loop Station. I think most of my sounds nowadays are are still both recorded on the computer and then transferred onto these instruments. I have a micro sampler, a Korg micro sampler as well, which I like to put custom samples in. That's interesting. Yeah, because I've been, I've been um, I'm a kind of a I'm a modular analog and a dollless recorder. I use like uh, Zoom R24. Which is a yeah. digital recorder, and I cap- capture my analog sense, and I, I kind of purposely don't use the DAW, so that I can kind of sketch out things in a like a nineteen seventy way. No, that's very cool. <laughs> so I, I I kind of I take my finger like if I'm playing with a modular synth, it's kind of point in time yeah. like a sample, and I let the modular synth kind of talk to me, and I record them live, and then I'll like resample my modular synth with like a make noise morphogen sampler. Which is a Eurorack sampler, and I'll you know record like three minutes of of something I did on my Moog, and then run it backwards or in between or do time shifting, uh, and and I use a lot of analog drum machines like a DFAM and some analog stuff from Arturia, but I just like using sequencers and uh, analog synths a lot. I do have some digital. I have a Roland, you know, synth like a Juno that I do pads on and keyboards and stuff. But I just found that I tried to DAW. And it's, it's like being able to play kind of, I'm a, mm. I'm a pianist, I'm, I'm a synth player, I'm an electronic, so I just like to just put stuff down and just keep on layering. And I've been successful doing it that way. People say, well, that's a lot harder than going on the grid, but I find it's more freeing because I just kind of just create, you know, however I want to do it without being uh, kind of confined to a structure of a DAW. But I, I, get, I actually find that more and more people are starting to become dollars with producers. It's becoming like a, a, a thing. But I, I've been doing it for like 10 years. <laughs> I think like because so many things are possible nowadays, it really takes whatever you started with and then just going into it deeper and deeper and deeper. So. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has their own. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see. I mean, I've, I've used the doll before. You know, I've used Ableton. But I just, you know, I, my own personal choice is to as they use different techniques, um, you know, with samplers and sequencers and, and live stuff. But, um, yeah, everybody approaches everything from a different way. And, you know, a lot of music today, everybody uses the Pro Tools or Ableton. And it's just like, that's just the way, the nature of the business. But I just like, like the feel of more like free jazz. And I find that, that I can't really get that sound if I use that, those things, but yeah, I, I do, uh, I do like so the clarity of... of having, you know, like over a hundred layers on Ableton and being able to group it and turn stuff on and off. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I can turn stuff on and off within my right. track recorder, but it's just a different way of doing it. You can mute and unmute. It's just uh, it's more kind of like, you're kind of running a little blind and I kind of, what I find in music, sometimes if you put a constraint, you know, it's like Jack White, like you can say famously, he, he used like a plastic yeah. cheap guitar just to for, force himself to, to have a constraint. They didn't have the best guitar, but it forced him to play a different way. And sometimes like you kind of put, as artists will put constraints on ourselves to try to force us to change or not force us but make us play a different way in that way i think that's where my art education comes into play because uh, because my the the bachelor and master studies were in visual communication which is also including conceptual art which takes uh, like time and space in in mind um a lot of the work 
I was creating in my bachelor year and it was encouraged to do it that way. It was very minimal and very concept based. So the mental mm -hmm. constraints yeah. and I just are always there. And I, I just kind of, once they showed, showed, kind of showed you how to do it, I, I got the hang of it and I found it like so fun. <laughs> like, yeah, I just find it. Yeah, it's very fun. I think it's just, yeah, I think they approach things from different ways and different, you know, that's why I like to talk to artists from all over the world. Because every time I, I, I talk to you, like, to artists through the smartphone, I get different ideas, different ways of thinking, or different, I hear other people's approaches. And, you know, as a musician, that's how you grow. You know, you, you talk to other musicians and you find out, oh, this is what they're doing. This is how they're doing that. And they, they could take it or you leave it or you, you get inspired by it or you don't. But it's just, I think it's good, even though we're in that isolation, oh, it's still do this. In some ways, you know, the distances can... have become shorter because everyone's on the same level. Yeah, I mean, I would have never thought three years ago I could talk to an artist in Israel or Tokyo or Latvia or Australia. And, you know, I've talked to it last week. I talked to a band in Australia. I talked to a, uh, an artist in Denmark and I'm in New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just, you know, that, that to me is like, that's, that's the real, you know, benefit of our electronic age, you know, that, that we, and I've actually collaborated with bands with never even meeting them. Just, just actually exchanging files on Google drive and popping them into my studio and they popped them into FL studio or pro tools and we had Skype sessions and we never met and we did, we did albums together. I mean, I've done three albums like that with artists from all over the place. And it's just, you know, people were like, well, I can't get to the studio, so I can't do anything, but that's not exactly true. I mean, there's a lot of people that you can actually work with. If you're willing to like maybe have a, a lower fi mix, but sometimes that's not bad. You know, you know, it's not bad to have, not to have the perfect mix because you actually do something that has beauty to it it doesn't have to be to be fair separate, i kind of you know? believe that you can record stuff with anything it's all like how you mix it <laughs> so yeah you know because yeah. you can make anything sound good so long as it sits in the mix yeah i mean you can take a casio you could take a you know a block of wood on a field recorder you know, you you can you don't have to have like a Hammond B3 or a, a Yamaha DX7, you know, or a great, you know, uh, Wurlitzer or something. You can still create Definitely. great work and you don't have to have the best. You don't have to have a $5,000 microphone or, or a, you know, a, a, a Neve board, like a $30,000 Neve board or $120,000 Neve board well, to think actually do a good record. For, sometimes it's it. quite funny, though, that, for example, with microphones, you know, you record your voice, you, you make it all perfect, cut out all the bits that should be cut out, and then you put effects on it and you put distortion on it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you got like a five thousand dollar mic, and then you kind of muddy it up. It's like, why did you use the? What you could have used like? I mean, a there is actually one. I I have a friend <laughs> that I'm working with, uh, who uh, he's producing a track of mine at the moment, and um, I just thought I, I've been I I worked with him on my last uh, EP, and it's very interesting working with him because he's exactly the kind of person who wants every raw material to be as perfect as possible and it and uh and oh, in the yeah. end we we do exactly what, what i was saying like we then we we make it uh you know put effects on after and i to be fair i really like the result of working with him but it was it was so long <laughs> i <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you work with a like, when you work with that type of producer, you know, you take some you know, some producer gets on done in like a week, and then you got other producers. That it was it was two year years, and I thought to, the tracks were finished. Like they took me three years to make. So yeah. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like a Phil. If you get the the Phil Spector type of thing, like Born to Run, one track, six months how many takes, you know, Bruce did, you know, it just kept on building and building, building a layer, 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 layer. 
And, you know, there's something about those layers. I was actually watching a documentary with um, yeah. with Peter Gabriel talking about so. He was talking about all these shadow vocals that he had to record. And and you can't really even hear them until you like, go to the mixing board and you start unmuting things. But then when you actually, you know, take it out of the mix without the shadow vocal, the vocal kind of loses something. And you're like, wow. You're like, you really have to... You know, that's the kind of crafting that if you're working with those kind of producers that do that kind of thing. Or, or, or another example where they took a drum track, they recorded it and they spliced it to like 99 splices. And then they took the splices and they mixed yep. them all together. They just kind of randomly threw them together and it created a whole different track. And it's, just, it's, it's like a total producer type of thing. That yeah, can't really I, have, I have lots of shadow vocals coming up. <laughs> Oh, oh, not, oh you, not you usually, do that. but you do that, this man. producer wanted to do it with the track that we're currently working on. And we've been working on this track since oh, September. <laughs> but like, at the same time in parallel, I actually, uh, at a different recording studio where the guy doesn't really produce, he just records very nicely. Um, I've, I recorded a full studio album, which is set to come out Uh I decided that it'll come out on the 29th of September because I still have a lot of things to do and in this in this uh, situation it means that I'm going to film a music video at home and do animation in the back of it. I've built a I, I built a green screen at home, bought some fabric, so, sewed it together, made a stand. Cool. Oh, awesome. <laughs> well, you're still pushing. That's one of the things questions you've been asking. Is like because of coronavirus, are you changing some of your strategies or what you were going to do? And it sounds like, yeah, you are. You're actually, you know, working, you know, some of the stuff at home that maybe you couldn't go out to do. Yeah. Um, so other things well, like that, that you're from, doing? From, because... uh, despite the fact that I am a visual artist as well, I did, I, I've liked working with uh, other photographers um, recently and I didn't really ha- I don't really have the opportunity to do that now for my album cover so so uh, I set up yeah. at home I had uh, I had um, my uh, my partner you know help frame it and do the actual clicking <laughs> and uh, but, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the album cover is is happening I'm painting the painting that's going to be in the background of the photograph I've taken of myself and uh but musically musically it's been quite different actually um as soon as it started I created a new track and I fixed another one I really like the sound of it but since then I kind of I kind of stopped um it's it's almost as if I really really need to have my music taken outside and to reflect on that and then come back. Um, which mm-hmm. is, which is why I now decided that, okay, live, live stream shows are a thing. <laughs> and yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been doing Twitch a lot. I actually found Twitch is actually be- a little better than Facebook. Yeah, actually, uh, this coming too. Wednesday, I'm doing <laughs> a live stream show. Uh, it's going to be simultaneously put onto my YouTube channel, onto my Twitch, and also to my Facebook. Oh, you're using one of those servers? I was looking into that. They can do like multiple, yeah. hit multiple at the same time. Yeah, it, it's. I was thinking about using one of those. I had I hadn't bit the bullet yet, but I'm yeah, about it. so gonna do that. <laughs> using the green screen as well so all my the video art at the background <laughs> um yeah yeah I, I see more and more bands are doing that. i actually was um, thinking there was like a, this cancer um broadcast that's being done to support like cancer survivors or people who are going through cancer there's this one um uh instagram star that's actually doing wow, live shows like, every day like, all day <laughs> And, and and but they're but what they're doing is they're having all these oh, people right. sign up okay. and play from their bedroom, um, and then it, and then the, the nice. donations are going to this cancer thing, 
because it's hard for the cancer patients to kind of get what the services they have to do because the corona patients are kind of yep. like taking up all the space. Um, and so it, it, there's still active cancer patients that have to get chemo Oof. and radiation. I'm a cancer survivor myself, so I'm like, oh, yeah, I should do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm working that out. And I've been doing bedroom performances for years before anybody was like making that a big thing. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> um, but but it's just weird. It's like now, oh, now everybody's doing what I've been doing. Yeah, you got a head start. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's my whole studio is like set up to do it, and I just do. I've been doing it for years. Um, and I just like I kind of use my live performances sometimes to inform. I'll go back at at two hours or an hour worth of performance, and I kind of go crazy, and 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 I do these long um, jams, and I'll go mm-hmm. back and find the song in the jam, and then I I, I kind of use that to inspire me by playing live. It forces me to go and be improv, do improvisation, and then I go back and I pull pull the the melodies or I pull the things out. I was like, oh, that that could be a song, and then I end up spending you know, like the whole week pulling things out of my live performance to. Then it further, um, like, develop uh, into I, I play a lot of um, live shows usually and I tour a lot. So for the past four or five years, I've been playing an average of 30 shows a year as Waterflower and then other shows as part of other projects too. So it's, and then during this time, I've actually, I realized that every first rehearsal for a show, instead of rehearsing my material, I always come up with a new song. <laughs> And <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, that's interesting. So you just instead of, <clears throat> instead of doing your song, yeah, you every jam time. And you make song. So I always need to add extra <laughs> rehearsal time because I know the first one is going to be me channeling something out of my system. <laughs> do you always record them? Do you, do you like, oh, I should record these because I don't, you know, I'm always coming up with new stuff. So do, I, do I try. You, do you I try. The tape yeah. on? Do you, like, I, I haven't revisited your, your... a lot of them. Or only yeah. some of them, but it's it's just a really important thing to do, and it just is. It's like it takes me. <laughs> I, I don't even I don't even realize that I'm doing it. It just yeah. happens. It's just now I know that I need to <laughs> leave the time. Yeah, I've been talking to a lot of bands. They they've been deciding like, oh yeah, they got you got to record your um like your sound checks and your 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 rehearsals because that's. Where you know, if you go back and look at the history of bands, they, you know, it's just the Stones and Almonds and you know all the great, great bands. Like going back to Hendrix, you know, the the sound checks and the rehearsals because the old school system, the way the studio used to yeah. run, they were they would just tape everything, and and that's where a lot of songs came from. Like if you read like the history of a lot of these bands, like they come from the sound checks, they come from the rehearsals. A lot of a lot of famous songs just got developed because. When you're you're more free, yeah. you're kind of just playing around. But that's when you're kind of as a musician when you're doing that. Sometimes like you're, you're, you, that's when you're these really these gems come out, and you never know when they're going to come out. It's like if you sit down, and say, oh, I'm going to write a song. Well, then you probably aren't going to write a song. <laughs> but if you're like, well, I'm just going to go on my piano or I'm going to go on my guitar and just kind of just whatever that's when it comes it kind of comes when you don't expect it that's why yeah i I try to only (laughs) sit down to something when i have an idea so whether it's visual arts or it's something that i have to do and it's been on my mind for a long time or it's music i i kind of just follow the inspiration and it's it's a weird way of living because sometimes it means that I leave some things to the last moment. But it's like even my procrastinations are creative and useful, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's strange. It's like I know I know to trust myself that at some point I will do the thing that I want to do, but I don't know when. But it will be on time. <laughs> Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's interesting. So when you write, like, it's interesting when you write a song, like, so we talk about, like, kind of just off the cuff, kind of, you, you kind of pick the muse from the from the era. Like, I remember, like, Bob Moog, the guy who created the Moog, he, he, the reason he said he created the Moog, he said, like, the universe was talking to him. And he was an inventor, but he had this kind of very cosmic idea, like, 
you know, something in the universe is speaking to me. And when I built these modes, I kind of felt that I was pulling into this cosmic muse. And these synthesizers kind of channel that. And people should use my machines live because they kind of mm. just are designed to pull up this cosmic, like, tone. And I, and I was like, wow, this is an engineer. This is an inventor. But he talks in a very ethereal way. And I thought I got drawn into his instruments because I found that they are like that. Like, every time I turn on my Moog, it doesn't act the same way. It doesn't sound the same way. It just seems to pull things out of nowhere because it's like it's analog so it yeah. warms up it acts different at different temperatures and so so when i turn it on it just constantly inspires me because it never sounds the same. Uh, ever since i i started it's... doing this well back in crawfork as well one of the methods i used for creating was i would have well, I'd be inspired to do a certain thing and one of the things that i could be doing was either recording samples or a different day editing samples or singing vocals or working on composition and i'd only do that on that day and it, back then it was like once every three months sometimes or once a month i would do it and the the cool thing was that whenever i did a certain um, decided that i was feeling like doing that certain thing i always had this stuff i would prepared for myself on the day when that was all i wanted to do so i had pre-cut samples for myself that I'd prepared on a day when all I wanted to do was cut samples and it kind of stands the same way now that I've got lyrics that I write and I just they just come and I just write them down and I know that whenever I make a song and I need lyrics I just look in my my uh, lyrics little lyrics um, folder and it's there and it just fits and same with sounds I need sounds I go to the sounds that I've recorded and prepared for myself and I just use that so yeah. in a way it is drawing on some sort of something yeah it, it's like yeah it's like a muse you feel like you pull from the muse then you like I was saying just kind of I think all a lot of artists we kind of like everybody can say why well, I got this talent of it's all me but I think a lot of times you oh definitely from your surroundings and yeah, you pull, yeah, you like the way you do a field recording, you're pulling what's in nature, you pull what's out there. It's same thing artistically. I, I started as a poet, you know, and I a lot of my lyrics come from hundreds of pages of poetry I wrote in my 20s, and I have them all in a drawer. And and they, when I like, I, I just have all, all these pages, and what I'll do is I'll just, I'll just randomly grab lines from one poem, another poem, and then I turn them into a new song <laughs> and i just have this whole reservoir of all this stuff i wrote in my 20s i have tons of stuff and i said well i don't even have to write a lot of new stuff and, it's, and the other stuff is just like stream of consciousness but then i have this kind of reserve along with the reserve of all my recorded tapes over the years of my sense and i'll go back and i'll say well i like this thing from two years ago or three months ago or something I did last night, and then they kind of just kind yeah, of like um, between <laughs> 2013 and 2015, I was in a avant-garde band, and we had a rule that we never played the same song twice, and um, and all the lyrics were written on the spot during the breaks, passing around passing around a piece of paper, and yeah and i was i was the, well, the cool. singer like in this project so and sometimes you know i ran out of lyrics and so i had to make stuff up on the spot that continued in what was written down and i think so it was almost a full three years that i was doing stuff in that project and it was really important i think for for anyone just to you know meet every week and speak random words into the microphone until they make sense and find ways and patterns how words make sense it's it's wonderful really yeah i love that kind of experimentation i used to see that a lot with like you know the velvets and like even you know you know D dylan you know dylan used to read all this stuff and he would just they would just put the mic on at columbia and they put the tape on and he would just read all this poetry and then he would start refining it you know and all these ideas and they just kind of just roll the tape and then they start turning themselves into these big long story songs that he this kind of stream of consciousness throw together and i've always been very drawn to like 
stream of consciousness type of recording uh, just because of the, a lot of my heroes that are they're into that. And I just really feel satisfied doing that. I mean, I, I'll sit down and write a song, like a formal song, but a lot of my songs are, you know, really 90% of my material is all stream of consciousness. And it's just, I just like it. And that's what, I, you know, I've been able to do it and, and get away with it. <laughs> and it kind of worked out just because I've been doing it for like 20 years. But uh, it's just, um, I just feel very satisfied when I do that. And other people are like, well, how can you do that? You're kind of just doing it. And I'm like, just oh, what I do. <laughs> um, yeah, everybody does their own thing. And, it, you know, we got people that are very into like uh, detailed structure. And I can get, into that, I mean, I've written rock operas where I've like written everything down and did everything, and and and, and you know done it in a very uh, tight method. And then other times, I've just gone and done like a sun rock, you know, just go off. And, and, and that's I probably like doing the sun rock type thing best because that's that's more what I'm into. Um, uh, but it's great that you know have you on on the show, and the, uh, we look forward. Oh yes, and all the stuff you've I, I can't wait because I've been um, performing those songs live for the past yeah, so... three years, I think, and it's. I think that this uh, this last album that well, it's not published yet. I would say I feel like I've established a style <laughs> at this point that I'm really happy with, and that kind of fills the, the question which I've had for a while now, which is. How do I fit all my experimental noise and avant-garde things together with like more traditional sounding electronic music, you know, beats and very obvious synth synths. And I kind of feel that the end result, well, mm -hmm. the closest thing I can find really is Kate Bush. <laughs> hey, Bush. Yeah, well, I hear that. That's, that's a good place to be because I love that. That that is like where I live in that type of music. So waterfly spice mouse that um is that what, yeah um, that's that album, was released um, in December. Spotify from twenty nineteen. Yeah, so that was your last one. No, Do not yet. It's still untitled. I don't know. I don't know what to call it. I think when I finish the cover image, then I'll have a better idea. But I'm I'm feeling like I'd like the title to okay. somehow imply that the album is not set in a specific time, but it, that it's kind of it could be the past, it could be the future, yeah. it could be right now. Well, that sounds cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that, and like we always invite every artist we've talked to. We've talked to a lot of artists two, three times, uh, you know, four times sometimes. Um, so if you when you this project is ready to come out and you want to want to re, uh, actually oh, that premiere sounds it, great. come on the show when we could talk about it. Um, if you, if you're up to it. Yeah, yeah. So are you planning on on uh, it once everything opens up? Are you gonna gonna do this more like? Um, just oh, definitely. Gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna show play outside shows outside because I've been. I, I mentioned that I was touring Europe a lot. And uh, well, I was touring in general, but it was Europe. <laughs> it was within Europe, and uh, I just, oh, cool, you know, cool. Latvia is too small of a place for you to play a show more often than every couple of months. It's just, I mean, I've got no, no yeah, necessity yeah. to tire my audience in that way. And when you, <laughs> when you go to other places and play, it means yeah, you can so play you. a string of shows for two weeks or more, and. It feels great, and oh yeah, oh I have um I have, a sh I have some shows in Germany, which I don't know if they're going to happen. Probably not in July, and then after that, I have a show in Paris, in France, in September. So maybe, maybe, oh, maybe, hopefully, I can tie that in as well with the album release and do a little album release to. Of course, if there are any venues left. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, hard for the venues to make it because they're not getting funding. But um, but, well, in the U.S., we got problems where they don't fund the arts. <laughs> so some guys are kind of like, what well, they're not I getting I think that's a problem like, well, all over the world, money, unfortunately. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So it's just like uh, I'm hoping that my, my favorite venues in New York are still going to be there when I want to go and, and, and try to do something. But um, I know a lot of artists are trying to help them out and do do all kinds of fundraising and there's all kinds of stuff going on. But yeah, but we'd love to have you come back on when you get ready to do that. And um, yeah, we're, so we're, we're happy to talk to you, Waterflower. And good luck with everything you're doing. And um, you stay safe. Um, and we will talk to you again. Fantastic. This is going to get published. On 11 platforms, including Spotify, because we're part of Spotify. Anchor is actually part of Spotify. And uh, we will be uh, putting a link on our Instagram as a highlight that will go directly to the Fantastic. Spotify version of this interview. And so we so we will do that. And uh, that will come out within an hour and with a lot of your hyperlinks and your bio on the actual podcast text. So. Thank you for being on the show. We appreciate talking to everybody that we talk to and your fans. Uh, please check out her YouTube videos, which are phenomenal. Waterflower, you know, you're an awesome visual artist, and I think more people need to know about you. So we're going to try to spread the word. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Have a great, uh, rest so of your happy weekend. to be here. Hope to speak again then. <laughs> and Thank you very much. Yep.